worse than a one-point sermon is because the devil tempts people into thinking they're going to get out of church early. Amen? You are. You just don't know it yet. Well, we've been studying details about the temptations of the Lord Jesus Christ because I believe that God wants us to shore up areas of our life that are susceptible to the attacks of Satan. So God wants us to prepare ourselves. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to make ready for those areas where we're going to get attacked. And in doing so, we've already learned that we must be alert after a high point in our life. It's important that we must also be watchful when we're weak. It's important that we also be on guard when we're alone, when we've been isolated. Remember, the roaring lion who is seeking to devour your soul, can, if he cannot isolate you from the herd, guess what he probably will do? He will probably give up if he can't isolate you from the herd, at least for a season. So be aware of your situation, but also be aware of Satan's strategy. He has a tried and true strategy. We know that Satan can't make you, he can't force you to do anything. It's all your choice. But he does have a tried and true strategy. His strategy uh, consists of paying attention to your habits. His strategy uh, consists of paying attention to your desires, to observing whom you hang out with, observing where you hang out. He makes sure that he is preparing this lure that he thinks you cannot resist. And when he does it, he tosses it right there in front of you. He knows that you're going to be drawn to it. He knows that you're going to toy with it. He knows that you're going to linger over it. He knows that eventually it's going to consume your thoughts. That there's nothing more you'll be able to think about than that lure he's placed in front of your nose. Your conscience will be warned. The consequences may become evident. But Satan knows one thing for sure, one way or the other, you're going to have to respond. You'll either resist the temptation or you will yield to the temptation. You will either swim away from the bait or you will swallow it whole. The question is, what will you choose? It's as old as humanity itself. It's his strategy, but it's tried and it's true. Important, friends, in studying the temptation of Jesus, we can recognize three ways that we're tempted to sin against God, but also three ways that we can respond as followers of Jesus Christ. So what I want to tell you today is, Bear with me. It ain't working. Let's get ready to rumble. Amen. Let's get ready to rumble. So far, modern technology. Don't you love it? Amen. Modern technology. Follow along with me in Matthew chapter 4 as we remind ourselves of what's transpired thus far. 
In verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We've learned thus far that there's only three areas that you can be tempted. Three areas because that's all there is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us that our human being is made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. We learned that the devil began his temptation of Jesus Christ with a body shot. Striving to tempt the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tempting him through the lust of the flesh. And in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, I want to remind you of some divine instruction. Some instruction from the voice of God for those who seek to overcome the temptation to sin. Listen to what John wrote. He said, do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We live in a body. Did you hear me, church? We live in a body, and this body has appetites that can be tempted. As the devil tried to exploit the appetite of Jesus' flesh, Jesus must have been very tempted. Why? Because he had fasted for 40 days, and I want you to know that he was hungry. He was hungry, but Jesus knew that if we gratify our base human desires, if we choose the pathway of comfort instead of seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, we will fall for the lust of the flesh. So, in verse 4, Jesus countered. He countered with a, a right cross. And we talked about the fact that he knew what God's mission was. And God's mission led Jesus to the right cross for your salvation. Jesus knew what was going on. He refused to seek material comforts. And he absolutely was not going to do so so that he could feel better. Amen. He knew that when we start putting, listen to me. He knew that when we start putting physical needs ahead of spiritual needs, you know what happens? We sin. When we start putting physical needs ahead of our spiritual needs, we sin. And Jesus knew it, so he taught by example that getting bread, whether it's bread for your belly or bread for your wallet, he knows that if you, if you, that is not the most important thing in life. Getting bread for your belly or bread for your wallet is not the most important thing for your life. Obedience to the will of God is the most important thing in your life. 
The power behind Jesus' right cross was the fact that he obeyed the word of God. That was the most important thing in his life, and he was teaching you and I, by example, to follow him. So important. You know, God says to you, children, listen to me. Obey me. Obey me, no matter what the circumstances you find yourself in. Obey me, I love you. And I have given my word to you. Why? Because I want my very best for you. Friend, you have got to realize that your spiritual needs are far greater than any physical needs you might have. So today in round two of this greatest heavyweight bout of the world, Jesus was tempted with the pride of life. Follow with me, continuing in uh, Matthew chapter 4, in verse 5, we find then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. In, in Brother Bill's words, set him up top of the steeple at Bethel. Amen? And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, just throw yourself down from this steeple, for it is written. God will give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again. It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So, how did, how did the devil begin round two? He began round two with what I call a sucker punch. Anybody know what a sucker punch is? Uh-huh, you know what a sucker punch is. A sucker punch is one that comes out of nowhere. A sucker punch is one that you're not expecting. And here, we find that the second greatest need of humanity, first is self-preservation of our body, but the second greatest need of humanity is security. And here in the second temptation, the devil attacked the soul of Jesus. The first one was he attacked the body. Now he's attacking the soul, the emotional needs that Jesus had, being a man, a God in the flesh. And Satan was trying to get Jesus to question if the Father would protect him or not. The devil was trying to get him to question if his father in heaven would protect him or not. Now, what is a sucker punch? Again, a sucker punch is a blow that you receive from an area or from a direction that you're not expecting. Think about this. Who would have expected the enemy of God to use the word of God in a fight? An unexpected direction. So Satan implied this. He said, so, you intend to use the scriptures, do you? Well, let me quote you a verse and let's see if you obey it. And so the devil took Jesus up 500 feet to the top of the temple and he quoted Psalm 91 where God promises to protect his own. And then he said, there you go. If you really believe the word of God, if you really believe that God will protect you, then jump. Jump. And let's see if the Father will protect you or not. Friends, here 
Satan was intentionally misquoting Psalm 91, verse 11. He rightfully told Jesus that God shall give his angels charge over you. But Satan conveniently left out the most important part of that verse. Now, yeah, he did say he shall give his angels charge over you. But what Satan left out was to keep you in all your ways. Because friends, let me tell you something. A child of God who is in the will of God will always have the protection of God. So as long as he stayed in the Father's ways, indeed, angels will have charge over him. But Satan was trying to get Jesus to ignore the Father's way and focus on his own way. To ignore the Father's way and instead focus on that sinful, prideful, emotional need of the soul. And we all have it. We have that. And Jesus was God in the flesh and he had that soul that could be tempted. It was like Satan was saying this. Alright, Jesus. Since you are the Son of God, since you are the Son of God, you should bring glory to yourself. You are the Son of God. You should do that. And you have the Father's promise that you will not even stub your toe. Instead, my, man, angels will swoop down. They will carry you off before you hit the ground. And people will be amazed at you. Does Satan ever tempt us to be prideful? Does Satan ever tempt us to focus on self? I know what the answer is to every one of our lives today. Because he does. Do we ever neglect the worship of God? You know we do. Do we ever not make church attendance a priority? Hey, we know we do. Do we ever not honor and glorify and magnify God because we want to do what we want to do? You know we do. But here's the kicker. Even though we neglect worship, we neglect meeting as the body of Christ, we always still expect God to keep us on the path, don't we? It's amazing. Do we ever dive into a path of our own, our own choosing? And then cry out to God. God help me. Bail me out. Even though I've been disobedient. Do we ever test the boundaries of known sin? God says. Here's the ditch. And what do we try to do? We try to get as close to that ditch as we can without falling in. God says, child of God, you ain't got no business drinking. You ain't got no business drinking alcohol. Alcohol leads to a host of problems. And if you think about it, child, 
There ain't no upside to drinking alcohol. And then, what happens if we do? Well, we become a stumbling block. And we're warned about becoming a stumbling block. We become a stumbling block to anybody that's around us. And we become a stumbling block to the world who already recognizes the detriment of alcohol. Then what do some Christians do? And I've been guilty of this as long as we're confessing. Maybe we drink, but only in the privacy of our own home. That way I'm not a stumbling block. Or maybe we drink, but we do it out of town. That way they don't know me, and that way I'm not a stumbling block. But I got news for you. If you're drinking, you're still a stumbling block. If you're drinking, you're still inviting problems. You're still testing God. You're still seeing how close you can get to the edge of the ditch without falling in. And then we're surprised when we fall in it. So after... The devil tried to nail Jesus with that sucker punch that came out of nowhere. We find that Jesus countered with an uppercut. An uppercut comes from inside the fight. And the first thing that an uppercut does is it hits you right in the chin. And the first thing that happens when you get hit in the chin is this. It shuts your mouth. Amen? I think that's exactly what happened when Jesus countered. He shut the devil's mouth right where he was. Satan had tempted Jesus to question the Father's protection, and Jesus shut his mouth. And I mean quick. Jesus said, it is written again. Say again. That little word has some impact. By stressing that word again, you need to look at what Jesus was saying because he was saying, the promises you quoted, devil, are true. God does care for his own. The problem is, Satan, you are a master scripture plucker. Now, I've shared many times in this building about the dangers of Scripture plucking. You simply cannot take one verse in one context written to one group of people about one subject and stand exclusively on that one verse without considering what the rest of the Bible says. This is the living word of God and we must take his entire word together in order to find God's will for our lives. Do you now understand how important Bible study it is? 
You may get just a portion here and a portion in Sunday school, but you need to be instead of yourself so that somebody's not scripture plucking and forcing it down your throat. It is so important to read all the Bible. Think about it. These are the words of God. It's important to study all that God said. Amen? It's important. Paul wrote that all scripture is profitable for daily life. It's all profitable for you. But not if you don't read it. You'll receive no profit from it. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.16 where the Bible says you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Because when we tempt God, we often pluck a verse out of the Bible. We pluck a verse so that we can justify a behavior. We pluck a verse and then we end up putting ourselves in a situation where we're trying to force God to do a miracle to save us. And whose fault is it that we're in there? It's our own. God will not be tested that way. Back to the alcohol issue. I've heard people say, well, Jesus drank. He turned water into wine. They, scrub, they just pluck that scripture out of there, and they don't do any studying about it, and they say, oh, Jesus was an alcoholic, so I can too. Jesus was drinking fruit juice, not fermented wine. It is so important, friend, that we don't just pluck scriptures out for our own amusement. The believer who reaches into a cage of rattlesnakes, quoting the Bible saying that I can take up serpents and it will by no means hurt me, is tempting God. Some believers actually resolve not to use modern medicine saying, just trust God. God will take care of you. But is it possible that God did take care of them by creating modern medicine? We cannot tempt God that way. Jesus would not tempt the Father. He had a trust in God that did not require any form of proof. He was saying, my father's promise, his word, it is written again. His word, his promise is sufficient for me. So, the devil tempted Jesus to prove that he was the Messiah. Throw yourself down off this pinnacle. Let the angels swoop down. Prove that you're the Savior. Prove that you're the Christ. Prove that you're the Messiah. And everybody will be amazed. They will be amazed at this sensational stunt that has taken place. That way, you can achieve glory and you don't have to suffer. Do this sensational stunt and you can bypass the cross and still reach the heavenly throne. But that kind of action was outside the will of God and Jesus would have no part of it. He would not test the Father. 
Friends, we must not fall to the pride of life. The pride of life that tempts us to believe that personal glory is more important than God's will. Anything you think you can do for yourself is never greater than the will of God. So as Christians, friend, we cannot seek to become great in the kingdom of God and then run and hide when sacrifice time comes. You can't be great in the kingdom of God and then run and hide when the hard decisions come. The hard decisions of whether you're going to choose bread for your belly or bread for your wallet or the will of God. The cross must come first. The first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your being, with all your strength. If anyone desires to come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, the altar of sacrifice comes before the throne of greatness. The crown of thorns comes before the crown of glory. So have you come to the cross? Is the cross first in your life? Have you come to the cross for God's mercy and forgiveness? Have you been washed in the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Have you received the gift of God that through faith you can be saved from your sins by the grace of God? Christians, Christians, is it your desire to become great in the kingdom of God? What then must you lay aside in order to achieve that goal? Do you desire to become great, but then you run and hide when the sacrifice part comes? I think maybe that we all need to rearrange our priorities a bit. The pride of life. It's an awfully powerful bait. It's an awfully powerful lure. But God says, the cross comes first. Have you been to the cross? Believer, are you proclaiming the cross? During this invitation song, you're going to have an opportunity to make your profession public. Perhaps to come for the first time to Jesus, knowing that your sins can be washed from you, 
that you can have eternal life through faith in Christ. But this is also an opportunity for the believer who recognizes the priorities need to be rearranged. I think we all stand in need of that. So let me pray for you, and let me pray for your receptiveness to the Word of God who says you must not fall to the pride of life. Father God, Lord above, the enemy makes it so tempting. Oh, and we think about our own provision. We think about our own needs. And Lord, we realize that we stand in need of coming to the cross again. Father, I pray for the one who is in this building who knows just as well as I know that they've never been to the cross. They've never obeyed the the scripture, the, the commission, the words of Christ that say, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Lord, we have a lot of professors professing that they're believers, but we lack followers. Lord, forgive me for the times and the areas of my life that don't follow you like they should. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, by faith believing, that you're going to speak to all of us this morning. And you're going to give us direction and guidance. And you're going to help us to make a decision that glorifies you. In the name of Christ, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.